Good morning again, church family. So very thankful that you're here this morning. We are continuing in our study uh, in the book of Colossians. And so we have been spending uh, last about 10 or so weeks uh, going through this wonderful little book. Uh, and if the Lord has his way, we'll finish it sometime this year, okay? It has been a, a blessing to study, and I hope that it has blessed you uh, as part of this church and that God is teaching you uh, as much through it as he is teaching me. And so we are uh, <clears throat> have been traveling through the book of Colossians, and we've gotten to chapter 4. Uh, so I know we've got to be getting close to the end of it, right? So we get to chapter 4, uh, where we looked at a little bit of it last week, and now we're going to dig into uh, kind of the, the, the new thought here, if you will, in chapter 4, we're going to be starting at verse 2. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. But before we dig in, I want to remind you that uh, this is connected. Uh, so as we've been going through Colossians, we've been talking about how none of this is uh, disconnected from each other. Paul is building, and, and, and this is one letter. Uh, and this past Wednesday night, we read it in its entirety uh, over the, the, the congregation that was here because we wanted to experience it in the same way that Paul had intended it to be experienced. This is one letter. Uh, this, is a, this is one thought that he is carrying throughout this theme. It's the supremacy of Christ. And so what we're going to read today, these instructions are connected to what Paul started his exhortation in Colossians 3.1. I'll remind you what he said there. He said, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. And so that's the exhortation starts in chapter 3. And then this is what he said, after describing things that do not fit with our new life, after laying out the things that do fit with our new self, and then dealing with the reality of how our new life affects our closest relationships in the home and our vocations, we saw about that last week, he finishes his exhortation with these two final matters concerning our new life in Christ. It's kind of the two final matters uh, that Paul has to, to deal with who you are in Christ. And in doing so, this is what he does. He draws us first upwards towards our communication with God and then outwards towards our interactions with those outside of the church. And so I think this is a very fitting way to conclude the letter. He says, this is how you're supposed to be communicating to God your Father, and this is how you're supposed to interact with those outside the church. And so this morning, we're going to deal with that first one, uh, and we'll finish our look at Colossians next week. And so Colossians 4, and we'll get in verse 2 and read through verse 4. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It's also on the screen. Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Very short exhortation this week and as I was preparing this is what I, I wrote uh, because I knew that if I didn't write it I might not say it <laughs> but of all the topics uh, Paul has covered in this letter I believe this is what I struggle with the most the practice of diligent consistent powerful prayer often eludes me uh, I, I wrote some words that m more likely describes most of my prayer efforts as hasty disjointed and sporadic. Now, God has been growing me in this practice for about the last year. He's been working on me 
Uh, but I wanted to stand up here first and foremost and tell you that I stand here today as someone who needs this message as much as or more than you. But here's my prayer, that God would use it to grow us no matter where we find ourselves in our prayer life. Whether we have a, a strong prayer life, a bold prayer life, or we have a, a, a sporadic, a disjointed prayer life, that God would use this passage, use these truths to grow us together this morning. Amen? All right. So we're going to talk about the prayer life in Christ. And each week we've been talking about what uh, we are in Christ, who we should be coming in Christ, our relationships in Christ. And so today is no different. We're going to be talking about and tackling the prayer life in Christ. And this topic of prayer really serves as bookends in this epistle. And so if you go think about it in your minds, the beginning, Paul did what? He said, hey, this is my prayer for you, right? Uh, Ever since I heard of your faith in Christ, I've been praying for you. He uses the word unceasing. I've prayed for you um, the day since the day I heard. I've not ceased to pray for you. And then he tells them what he's praying for them. Um, In week two of our series, we looked at this prayer under the two headings, the two areas he's praying. He's saying, I pray that you would grow in your understanding of God's will and that you would grow in the exercising of God's will. And so that's he kind of begins with prayer and now he ends with prayer. He says, now this is your responsibility concerning your own prayer life. And so. As we dig in this morning to this topic of prayer, the prayer life of the believer, uh, we're going to look at four characteristics of our prayer life, and and I certainly don't mean this to be an exhaustive look at prayer. Uh, We do not have the time for that this morning, but I definitely think if we will take these serious, it is informative on how the practice of prayer ought to be exercised in our life. Amen? Let's say a word of prayer, and we're going to jump in. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would so fill us that we would rightly proclaim and receive the word that you have for us. Father, we pray that today as we study prayer, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us, that you you didn't leave us to be isolated alone, but you want to stay connected to us and and a living, active communication with us daily. And Father, you want to draw us into that. And I pray that as we look at this, this, one of these final exhortations of Paul, that you would use Uh, this scripture that you inspired him to pen to draw us into that relationship. I pray for every person's prayer life here that it would be described in this way, would be active and living and powerful and full, full of your spirit and your presence. And Father, we bring this before you. We submit this time to you, asking you to, to drive these words deep into our hearts and minds so that we would leave changed and different than we were when we came. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So whenever you come to the topic of prayer, uh, one of the first things we see here is Paul says that we should pray with diligence. Pray with diligence. So if you're a note taker, this is the first characteristic. He says this. He says, continue steadfastly. And so when you dig into that word in in the Greek and what it means, it's literally a, a compound word with two words, essentially steadfast in regard to. Some of the more uh, modern English translations translate it, devote yourselves to prayer. So that's kind of the idea here. He says, continue steadfastly or or devote yourself to prayer. Uh, New King James says, continue earnestly in prayer. And so what he's he's trying to communicate here is there's got to be this diligence, this earnestness in which we pray. John Calvin called it an earnest readiness, like this, this being ready earnestly to pray, a diligent prayer. Now, it can be hard to establish exactly what Paul means here with this single word, right? 
continue steadfastly. What is he talking about? But when we take it in conjunction with what he teaches elsewhere and remember what the Lord himself taught on prayer, the picture becomes fairly clear. Paul is talking about our disposition concerning prayer. Like, what should our natural disposition be in prayer? And it should be, for every Christian, going to God ought to be the, our natural disposition in all things. Like, he's talking about our, our, the diligence of our prayer life should become just our natural reaction to life. Right? We should be diligently praying, earnestly ready. In this a parallel passage in Ephesians, remember we talked about that last week, they're connected, Ephesians and Colossians. Uh, he says it this way in uh, 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Paul there essentially says praying always with all prayer. <laughs> it's this, this double emphasis of always. Praying always with all prayer, all the time, all the time, right? There's a double emphasis that Paul gives here, and the idea is summarized in Colossians when he says, be devoted to prayer, right? All times, all situations, always ready, be devoted to prayer. And so one of the questions that I ask myself as I wrestle with this text is, what does it mean to be devoted to something? When we say be devoted to prayer, continue earnestly, what does it mean to be devoted? And I, one of the questions I said uh, was, what does it mean to be devoted? And, and I, I think it's an attachment, right? It's a fondness for something. It's a, a commitment. It's all kind of wrapped up into one. Like, we know what it means to be devoted because we all devote ourselves to stuff, good or bad. If you want to know what you're devoted to, just ask yourself, where do I direct my time, my money, and my effort, right? What things do I make time for? Because like, we all have those things, right? No matter how crazy or busy it is, that thing gets our attention. That thing gets our time. That's what you're devoted to. That's what devotion is. It's so much more than just enjoying something. It's so much more than just liking something or participating in it from time to time. It is that thing that when we have a free moment, that's where it goes. When we have extra money, I don't know what that is, but people have it, I hear. It goes to that thing, Right? That's the thing we're devoted to. And look, there, there's good things and bad things to be devoted to. Some people devote themselves to their career. For some, they're devoted to their health, the gym, uh, working out. Some, it's travel ball and sports. For others, it's their own enjoyment and satisfaction and, and vacations. And, and, like, we get it. That's, people are devoted to that. But this is what Paul says. In the same way you devote yourselves to these other things, one of your primary devotions ought to be to pray. When you have an extra minute, it ought to go towards prayer, right? When you have a situation come up, it ought to be prayer. Like, that ought to be what you devote yourself to. Which leads to the question, what is prayer? Here's the, the simplest answer that I can give you on what prayer is. Prayer is communicating with the Father because of the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that's prayer. It is communing with our God the Father because Jesus Christ came and died and was born again and now invites us into, makes a way for us to commune with the Father and we do it through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That is, that is prayer in a nutshell. So when we say we devote ourselves to prayer, we're talking about devoting ourselves to communicating with God by way of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's the question, what does it look like to be devoted in prayer? Have you ever noticed that you don't have to constantly 
bring to mind the things that you're devoted for, devoted to for them to take precedence in your life, do you? Like you don't have to actively think about it. Like when, like I said before, when you have extra time, it goes there. When you lay down at night, that's where your mind goes, right? Those are the things that you're devoted to. Because devotion comes from or begins to be a natural disposition, right? It, it just becomes natural because we've devoted ourselves to us. And this is what Paul says. In the same way, prayer must become our natural disposition in order for us to be devoted to it. And so there's this kind of co-laboring with God that has to happen. God invites us in prayer constantly. He exhorts us to constant prayer, and we must be attentive to constant prayer if we're ever going to be fulfilling this, this command to be steadfast, earnest, devoted to prayer. Here's some of the things I wrote down. When good things happen, our natural response ought to be immediately to want to thank God for them, right? Because every good thing comes from the hand of the Father. When bad things happen, we should immediately want to bring them before our Father, right? Because the Bible says that he doesn't withhold the good things from his, his children, and he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? Like even the bad things. So when it's good, we go to him. When it's bad, we go to him. And when, listen, when life is just okay, we go to him. We want to discuss that with our Father, I think about our kids, I say, how was your day at school? They say, you know, it was either great or it was bad, or they say it was okay, you know, but, but we still talk about it, right? Because I still want to know about it. Even if they don't need my help, even if they don't have anything to celebrate, I just want to know about their life. In the same way, God invites us to bring everything, all times, bring everything before him. It is this constant approaching God that we need to cultivate. It's not something that happens naturally, right? It's something we have to cultivate and something we have to, to invest in. So how do we get there? I want you to write this down if you take notes. Diligence until it becomes disposition. Diligence until it becomes disposition. So maybe you have to set a reminder on your phone, right? Maybe you have to set an alarm. Maybe you have to pin it to the bathroom mirror to the rearview mirror before you back out, but diligence until it becomes devotion, right? We got to be willing to pray at all times and all seasons until it becomes natural. So many of us think I'll pray about it when I feel like it, right? Or I'll pray about it when I'm prompted and we go through life acting like we don't have a God in heaven that wants to hear and act on our behalf, Right? So diligence until it becomes devotion. That is the way, disposition rather, that is the way we get there. It's an attentive and persistent effort. Now I wrote this because some of you may say, wait a minute, shouldn't prayer come naturally to a Christian, right? Like, are you saying that like, shouldn't once I become a Christian, just prayer be something that I do? Are you saying I have to work at it? Absolutely. Listen to the way that Jesus talked about coming to the Father in prayer. This is in Luke 18. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And in that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, 
Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Similarly, in Matthew 17, he says, ask, and it will be given to you. And the verb there is keep on asking. So Jesus said, do you want to know how to pray? Be diligent. If an unrighteous judge will be persuaded by diligence, how much more would a loving father who wants to give his children good things respond to diligence and prayer? He says, keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking, right? The idea is that we are diligent in our prayer until it becomes our disposition. So after dealing with this disposition, Paul is going to move to the manner that we should engage in prayer. But I believe that many of us have powerless prayer lives because we don't pray with diligence. We pray about it, we check it off a list, and we move on, right? Or we only come to God when something bad happens. Or we only come to God when something really good happens. But there's this invitation to be at all times praying, devoted to prayer, that is our disposition. Secondly, Paul talks about not only should we pray with diligence, but we should pray with vigilance. He says this, he says, uh, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. And the idea is, uh, from here is to stand guard, to pay attention, right? It's the, the same idea of, of either listening for a, a knock at the door or watching over the gate for, for enemy. It's, it's the idea of being on guard being vigilant, being watchful and attentive. It's, it's some of the same words that Jesus told his disciples when he said, stay awake and watch, right? Watch and pray, be alert. In Ephesians, he says it this way. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Same word for steadfast that he used in Colossians. Like to that end, what end? Praying at all times. Keep alert with all perseverance. Like, be vigilant. I think there's two ways we can think about what it means to be vigilant in prayer, be watchful in prayer. The first is a very natural understanding, like just staying alert in our prayer. Uh, staying alert in praying and being constant in prayer and not allowing ourselves to drift or be distracted, but to seriously engage in this, this discipline of prayer. Now, it doesn't take much effort in prayer before you realize how difficult it can be to stay engaged in prayer, right? If you don't think it's difficult to stay engaged in prayer, I don't know that you've ever tried. Uh, because every grocery list you've ever written, uh, every reminder, every conversation, every sound will become magnified because you're trying. There's a battle going on for you to engage in prayer. And one of the things we've done on Wednesday night of our, what we call it our prayer gathering is we are trying to spend significant time in prayer. To, and we call it, we, I tell them all the time, this is labor. You have to fight to stay in to prayer, right? Because everything in the world is calling for your attention. And you have to fight and engage. But let me tell you, when you do, it is the most wonderful thing to spend time in the presence of the Father and fight and labor for it and engage God to be watchful in it. And I think Paul knows that. And if Paul was concerned about distractions in this time, what, what would he say to us today, right? 
with the constant phone and the dings and the notifications and the, the advertisements, right? What would he say to us? Like, be extra diligent. Be watchful because, listen, everything wants to pull you away and distract you from that conversation, that communion with your father. So be watchful. I think that's the first way we can understand that, to be alert, to persevere. But I think the other way we can be watchful is how we're engaging in prayer. And this is what I mean by this. Jesus gives us two ways that we can wrongly engage in prayer that we need to be on guard against in Matthew 6. And that teaching on prayer, and you don't have to turn there, but you can write that, and if you want to, in the margin of your Bible here, when Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, write Matthew 6 there. Because Jesus says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Right? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. And then in 7, he says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, right? Two ways, he says, listen, if you engage in prayer this way, you're missing it. One, if you're using prayer as a way to make others think your relationship is better with God than it is, or making prayer into some kind of ritualistic exchange that if I say the right thing or in the right way, that God will answer me the way that I want. Jesus says, if you're treating prayer like either one of those Stop it, right? So don't do that. That's not prayer. Prayer is not engaging in communication with God for other people's benefit, and it's not this way we manipulate God. Neither one of those things are prayer. We must be intentional, paying attention to our prayer life, ensuring that we are remaining not only diligent, but with the right attitude. Before Brittany and I came here, we went through a season of earnest prayer, seeking the Lord. And during that season, God taught me about examining my prayers. I don't know that I'd ever done that. Asking questions like, why am I praying this way? Why did I pray for that? What am I really asking God to do in this situation? And what if he doesn't answer my prayers the way that I want, right? It was a season of wrestling and and examining prayers and going, why do I want this? Why am I praying for this? And what if God answers differently? It was laborious. It was difficult. But listen, ultimately fruitful because I learned about being watchful in prayer. I learned about examining my prayer life, not just, just casting things to God without considering why I'm praying or who I'm talking to. When was the last time you evaluated your prayer life? Essentially, that's what Paul is encouraging us to do. Our manner of prayer is to be vigilant, watchful, paying attention to our prayer life. Because listen, this is no secondary matter, right? This is your primary communication with God the Father. Like This is is how you talk to God. This is not something we push to a, a secondary matter and say, well, this is something that I'll get one day. This is one of the most important exhortations that Paul gives us throughout the whole letter of Colossians. Be watchful, prayerful, be diligent, be vigilant in your prayer life and your walk with Christ. So we have devoted, we have watchful, and then Paul adds two seemingly innocent words that have the greatest power to transform your prayer life. He says our attitude of prayer should be one of gratitude. The third thing he says, we should pray with gratitude. Thanksgiving, he says, with 
thanksgiving, and this is an active gratitude. This is not just a feeling. This is a giving of thanks, an outpouring, an active gratitude. Our prayer life should be marked by an outpouring of thanks to God. Now, this is easy when God answers our prayer, isn't it? Right? When God heals that person, when God opens that door, when God secures that job, when that, uh, that health report comes back good, when he blesses that thing, right? Like if we remember to thank him, we don't always do, but if we remember to thank him, it comes easily, it comes naturally. Like thank you, God, for that blessing, that benefit, that thing. But what about when he doesn't answer in the way we want him to? When we lose that person, when that mass is cancer, when our child doesn't turn back to him the way we thought they would, right? When that job ends, when that financial, the bills keep coming. What about when God doesn't answer our prayers and yet Paul doesn't give us any modifiers here? That is, he doesn't say, be thankful in the good seasons, right? Be thankful when God answers your prayer. Be thankful. He says, be with thanksgiving. Now, Paul has already addressed thankfulness in his letter, and so I just want to touch again on it briefly. In Colossians 3.16, he says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul's even more clear in the passage in Ephesians that corresponds. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody into the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting to one another out of reverence. Giving thanks always and for everything. No modifiers. Right? This is probably one of the most difficult things to do, but the most transformative. And here's why. The penetrating attitude of our prayer should be gratefulness regardless of what we're praying about. Right? No matter what the subject is, Gratitude ought to be at the forefront because even in our darkest days and our most difficult trials, as a child of God, there is so much to be thankful for. I want you to think about the, the hardest time, the most difficult trial, the thing that you, you beg God to pray for. Listen, in that moment, these are the things that are true. God promises that he hears you. The reality that he gave himself on the cross so that we could be reconciled to him. The promise that this is not the end and that he will receive you to himself for all eternity. Right? Even in the darkest, most difficult days, there's things to be thankful for. Right? God is living. He's alive. He's interested. He's loving and compassionate. And he wants to work all the things together for his good and for his glory. And you, if you live long enough and or see on the other side of eternity, you everything will work out for his glory and his good, and it will be beautiful, even in the hardest times. Of all instances, when we are talking to our heavenly father,
Father, gratitude ought to come easy to us, right? And I believe that it will if we stay devoted and watchful in prayer. Amen? If we will do the first two, the third one will come very easily to us. If we will devote ourselves to prayer and stay watchful in it, then the, great, the gratitude, the thankfulness will come naturally. And finally, Paul, in asking for prayers on behalf of himself and his co-laborers, helps us see this final characteristic of our prayer life. We should pray with purpose. And this won't be pretty brief because I think it's pretty self-explanatory when you look at it. Paul could have asked for a number of prayers. But he said this, pray. While you're praying all the time, together with that at the same time, pray uh, that God would open a door, an opportunity for us to declare the word Uh, Christ on account of which I'm in prison, I'm bound already, that I would make it clear, the teaching, which I, how I ought to speak. So what is Paul asking for here? The advancement of God's kingdom. Like that's what he's asking them to pray for. Like think about what he could have prayed for. Like please pray that God would get me out of prison, right? Please pray that God would, would not end this prison in death because Paul was essentially like facing death. Please pray that God would shake the gates of the prison like he did for Peter, right? And I would just be able to leave or like he did for me before, like pray, but he doesn't ask for any of that. He says, why don't you pray that God would give me the opportunity and the ability to proclaim the word of God like I should? To return one last time to Ephesians 6.18, Paul says this, We've already looked at 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all uh, perseverance, making supplication for all saints. This takes us all the way back to week one. Who's a saint? Every person who names the name of Christ. Set aside new life in Christ. So he says for all believers. I think too often for me, I won't speak for you this morning. Too often, my prayer lacks real godly purpose. I pray for physical healing. I pray for people to have blessings. I pray for situations to be righted. And I don't think any of those things are wrong. But I have to ask myself, what does God want from this situation? What is his purposes, right? And that alone revolutionizes our prayer life. Before we prayed, if we said, what do you want from this? it would completely change the way we pray. Like, right? We begin to pray with like, God, would you work this situation out for your glory? God, whether or not you heal this person, would you strengthen their spirit so that they may run the race with endurance? Right? Whether or not you remove this affliction, would you give them the power to carry it that in their weakness you would be made strong? Right? Like, what if we started praying like this? Like, God, would you use this situation to draw me closer to you regardless of the outcome? Like, isn't that much more in line with God's purposes? Like, wouldn't that be a more powerful way to pray? But we don't pray with purpose. We just pray what, like, what I want, what I want, right, what, what I need to experience. What, but, but what if we begin to pray with, with purpose? I think it would transform our prayer life. Like, listen, in the, there's this, uh, John Piper wrote, or, or didn't write, but uh, put together this Baptist catechism. And I, and I just want to read you the second question because it gets to the heart of the purpose of man. And the question is this, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
And the word in there is the word purpose. What is the chief purpose of man? To enjoy God and, and glorify him forever, to reflect him and his glory forever. Why do we do that? We become more and more like Christ, advancing the kingdom of God both in our lives and the lives of those around us, right? So what's the purpose of your prayers? When you, when you labor in prayer, what are you praying for? Is it the purposes of God or is it your own limited purposes? And I'm not saying you can't pray for things, pray for things, but always pray with purpose and power considering what God could do and wants to do in and through those around you. Here's a question that I've asked you before, and no doubt if the Lord allows me to, we'll ask you many more times as long as I'm able. But it's a question that's very simple but hard to answer. If tomorrow God answered all the prayers you prayed this week, would it make one difference in the kingdom of God? If God answered everything you'd asked for this last week, would it change one thing in the kingdom of God? Would one more person be saved? Would you be closer to him? Or would it all be temporary, unimportant in the grand scheme of things, things? If the answer is no, then you can be sure your prayers lack purpose. This is such a brief exhortation. We've only gone through two verses today. But you can see why it's so powerful concerning the Christian life. When we talk about the new life in Christ and the new self, it is full of implications. Like, as we close this morning, I want to encourage you that no matter where your prayer life is today, no matter what words you would use to characterize it, you can move towards these truths today. Like, it's never too late to allow God's word to transform you. Never too late for your prayer life to be completely different this afternoon than it was this morning, okay? And so we often think that we, we can't do it, but let me tell you, listen, if you will allow God to this morning, he can transform your prayer life. Why don't you pray with me? I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. When I wrote these questions, I wrote just, there's, there's just five of them. Would you surrender your prayer life today? Would you commit to diligence in praying? Would you ask God this morning to make you more vigilant and watchful in your prayers? Would you ask God to remind you of everything you have in Christ to be thankful for? Would you surrender your purposes for his in your prayer life this morning? Essentially, anyone, if you answer yes to any one of those questions, that is the step today to move towards a more powerful, active, prayer life in Christ.